Please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 12. Luke 12, we'll read 20, uh, 35 to 48. Luke 12, 35 to 48. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps alight. And be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at table and will come up and wait on them, whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. And be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward, whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, My master will not uh, will be a long time in coming, and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will, shall receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. And from everyone who has been given much shall much be required, and to whom they entrusted much of him they will ask all the more. Well, these two paragraphs we've just read are Christ calling on us to be ready, ready at every time. Ready at every time. And why? Because it's natural for people, and even disciples of Christ, to be dull and lazy, to be distracted, and not be ready. They are busy with life, busy with the afflictions of life even, busy with the things, maybe even the things of God, and not really reflecting upon God Himself and how we ought to be ready before Him. So this is what he addresses. In verse 35, he says, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps alight. Be dressed in readiness. Be ready for the battle. Be ready for the master coming. Don't be dressed in a a way that is unprepared for that, he's saying. It would be like a soldier getting ready for battle. That's the kind of analogy he's drawing. And he also says, keep your lamps alight. Remember, in Second Second uh, Timothy two six um, uh, three four five and six, the Apostle Paul ec- explains that the Christian life is like the farmer and it's like the athlete, but it's also like the soldier. And he says that the soldier is the, is enlisted to please the one who enlisted him, and he does not entangle himself in the affairs of everyday life. So he's not wearing civilian clothing when he's there to please the commander or his general. He's not there with his civilian clothes. He's there with his 
military garments and with his military equipment ready to do whenever, when whatever the, his commander wants him to do. So he's got to be dressed in readiness. And also, keep your lamps alight. We remember Matthew chapter 25, Jesus explained this parable of the ten virgins. Remember that in chapter 5, verses 1 to 13, 25, 1 to 13 of Matthew. He says that there were ten virgins and they were all waiting for the wedding to uh, happen. But five of them made sure they had extra oil for their lamps. But other five did not and they even went, went asleep. But then suddenly it was time for the wedding and the five who did not have enough oil, they did not have their lamps alight and ready for the wedding which took place in the dark, in the evening, in the night. And so they were excluded. But those who were prepared, they were not excluded. So keep your lamps alight. Be ready at all times. And of course, he means by this that we ought to be about the things of God. We ought to be thinking about God himself, about his kingdom, about his gospel. We ought to be living in accordance with that gospel, explaining that gospel to people. This is what our life should be characterized by, not by things of the world, because friendship with the world is hostility towards God, he, uh, James says in James 4.4. 4. 36, and be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at table and will come up and wait on them. Here, now it is compared to the master and the slaves. It says the men or the slaves who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast. The slaves need to be ready whenever the master returns, whenever the wedding is supposed to take place and the wedding feast is supposed to take place. Slaves cannot be uh, dilly-dallying. They cannot be sleeping. They cannot be doing whatever they feel like doing. They cannot be lollygagging on their lollipops, you know, day and night. They have to actually be ready because they are slaves and they have a duty. They, their master told them the wedding is about to happen and when I come back, you must be ready for it. And he gives a blessing for those who are prepared. Verse 37, Blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on the alert when he comes. Those who are ready are blessed, like Hebrews 6, 7. Hebrews 6, 7, the ground that produces fruit receives a blessing from God, but the ground that does not produce fruit it receives a curse from God. Verse 8 says that, Hebrews 6, 7 and 8. So here, if we are ready and prepared, then we are those blessed slaves. Otherwise, we're not blessed. And not only that, but it says in 37 that we will serve him. He will recline at table and will come up and wait on, um, says he will gird himself to serve and have them come recline at table and will come up and wait on them. When the master comes, the master is going to provide for all those who are there. And there's going to be enjoyment and festivities. There's going to be joy in the presence of the master because they're all participating in this wedding feast together. Then, 38. Whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. The second and third watches of the night 
The second watch of the night would be from 9 p.m. to midnight, 12 a.m. And the third watch would be from midnight to 3 a.m., midnight to 3 a.m., which means that they are active, they are alert, they are on guard, they are prepared, they're dressed in readiness, they have their lights, everything prepared, because they don't know at what point in the night or daytime the Master is going to come. So they're not thinking, oh, it's going to be a long time, and then we'll handle it right before it happens. I have plenty of time to squander my time, squander my resources, to do my own will, please myself instead of pleasing God. It's not like that. He says, it might be the second or third watch, but blessed are those slaves when they're doing the work of the master, even when it is difficult to do the work of the master. Even when it's difficult, and even when everybody else is asleep and twiddling their thumbs or entertaining themselves in the night, when others are doing those kinds of things, the slave is not doing that. He is prepared and waiting for his master to come back. Now he compares in verse 39 this situation with a thief and the owner of the house. 39, And be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. If the head had known at what time the thief was coming, he would, guard, would have guarded his house. He would have done whatever it takes to guard his house, to guard not only the house, but his family, the possessions in the house, everything. He would have guarded it. But he does not know. And notice also, it's a thief. Typically, when God <laughs> compares himself to something that is ominous and dangerous like a thief, he's not saying that to his people, to his elect, but he's saying that to people who are asleep or people who are entertaining themselves, pleasing themselves in the night and they don't know that a thief is coming. They don't know because they're not on the alert. I say that it is... For the, the thief is not for the elect. The suddenness of the thief is for the reprobate, the unelect, the unbelievers who are doing whatever they want and unprepared for that thief. I say that because of Re, or, excuse me, First Thessalonians chapter five. First Thessalonians chapter five. The apostle uses the same analogy of the thief. And he says, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. Now, as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation." For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. 
Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. When Paul says the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night, verse 2, there will be, will be people who say peace and safety. They are saying peace and safety. We're not saying peace and safety. We are saying that there is no peace for the wicked, and we're saying there is no safety, there is no security for the wicked. You must repent. And when we say that, we make them uncomfortable, but then they, they console one another by saying peace and safety. Everything's just fine. Don't listen to those wild people over there saying that hell is coming. Don't listen to that. Then... What will happen? Verse 3. Destruction will come upon them suddenly, like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. They won't escape, and it will happen to them suddenly. And verse 4. But you, brethren, the alert believers, you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief. It's not going to take us, overtake us suddenly because we are prepared. We are sons of light. We're not living in sin. We are living with a sober mind, verse 8. And we have salvation that awaits us. And, there, and this is the way we encourage one another. We encourage one another to be prepared like that. But the world, it's going to happen to them suddenly. Because they won't be prepared. Back to Luke 12, 12 verse 40. You too be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect, or you do not think, or you do not suppose. He's coming at a time when we don't know. The day and the hour, we do not know. We don't know the precise time. We do know that he is coming, and we do know that there are signs of the time. We do know that the world will become more and more evil, and we do know that there will be consistent persecution against the church. We do know that there will be more natural evil, like earthquakes and famines and things like that. We do also know that there will be more moral evil in that there will be people who live openly in sin. There will be people who uh, rise up who are false prophets, false prophets and false teachers, and this will happen more and more before he returns. So in that way, we need to be ready and we need to expect his coming, but he hasn't given us the precise time. But we who don't know the precise time we are living for His coming in righteousness and godliness. And we are observing the signs of the time. The world doesn't do that. They don't care. And they even think that it's mythological and fabulous for people to believe that Jesus will return again, come in the clouds of the sky, that there will be a day of judgment, that there will be hell to pay. No, they don't think that way. They don't look that way. They don't think about any of that and expect any of that. But because we don't know it doesn't mean it will not happen. Just because we don't know that something is going to happen doesn't mean it will not happen. After all, there were many people surprised and are still surprised today in current events. They don't expect many things to happen to them, yet things do happen to them. Whether it's warfare or accidents or um, a fatal illness, all kinds of things happen. All kinds of things happen that people don't expect, yet they do happen. So why can't we trust the Bible, the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation that teaches that the Son of Man is going to come again? And if He's going to come again, why not trust God? If we cannot trust ourselves and trust men because we don't know what will happen to us unexpectedly, then trust God because He's already said so. His Word is true. It's reliable. Trust Him. 
41. Peter is curious, and Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? Is he addressing it to us, the twelve disciples, or to everyone else who's listening to this message? Did Jesus answer it specifically? He did not answer it specifically in the sense that I'm addressing it to you and to them. But he did answer it in terms of, if you are the faithful and sensible steward, if you are the faithful and sensible steward, then the following will be true of you. But if you are the evil, irresponsible steward, then the other circumstance, the other outcome will happen to you. So in what way did Jesus answer the question? He's saying, he's putting it back on the hearers and saying, who do you consider yourself to be? Are you going to live in accordance with this one example or with this other example? He throws it back on all the hearers so that they are held accountable and that they have to come to grips, come to terms with which category, which person are they? All right, so this is what he does, 42. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his slaves or servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. All right, so are we the faithful and sensible steward? Faithful, having faith that increases day by day? Are we sensible or are we unsensible? Are we using our spiritual senses to produce spiritual fruit? Or are we using our senses, spiritual senses, to produce rotten fruit? What are we producing? As stewards, notice this slave is called a steward, one who takes care of the house, one who takes care of the property. Is he like that or not? Who is the faithful one? The faithful one is the one that in due time, 42 says, will receive rations at the proper time, will receive the provisions, the promised provisions, the rations at the proper time. This master will provide for this faithful slave in due time. He's already provided, but he will provide when he comes in his final appearance. 43, blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. There's the blessing again. Are we the faithful and sensible slave that receives this blessing doing the will of the master? Not doing our will, but the will of the master. Are we doing that? And if we are doing that and he finds us doing that, 44, truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. There will be a reward. There will be a, a good outcome for all who are faithful in doing the will of Christ the Master. That's the promise. There is a reward. Some people say, we ought not to live for rewards. Well, the Bible encourages us to do so. If the Bible encourages us, Jesus, our Lord Jesus encourages us to do so here, then why not? Why not think about it? Why not contemplate it? Why not strive for it? If he's saying so, truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. There will be a reward. So it's not sinful. It's not selfish. It's not evil. 
to consider what will happen when Christ returns. What will happen to me when Christ returns? Of course, when we think about rewards, we can think of reward as the ultimate reward being with Christ. But we can also think of those things that Christ will add to his presence given to us because we are faithful to him. There's a sense in which the Bible uses this term reward in those two ways. The biggest reward is being with Christ himself, which for most people, for most of us, this is what we think about. It doesn't matter what's actually going to happen in eternity as long as we are with God. As long as we are with God, the rest doesn't matter. Yes, the rewards will be greater or lesser according to our faithfulness, but the main thing is we're going to be with God. Then, the next comparison is verse 45. But if that slave says, if that slave says, observe here, we're still talking about the same slave. So is the person who hears going to put himself in the category of the faithful slave or the unfaithful one, the righteous one or the wicked one? If that slave says in his heart, so that means the potential is there for everyone who hears the word, whether it's the 12 disciples of Jesus or the multitudes who hear, for them to be in one or the other category. Now, in terms of God's, uh, God's will, God's appointment, God's sovereignty, it's going to be one or the other. That's not the question that he's addressing here. He's dealing with the question of fruit and evidence. How will it manifest itself in the individual's life is what his point is in this passage. And that's why he says, but if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming. He's going to be a long time in coming. He didn't come today. He won't come tomorrow. And I don't think he'll come next week. I don't think he'll come next month. Maybe not next year, this year. It'll be a long time. It'll be a long time. So, because of the distance factor, he thinks that he can live as he pleases. He can live for himself instead of the master. He doesn't belong to himself. He belongs to the master. And even we don't belong to ourselves, the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that we have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 6.20 For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. That is the analogy of slavery. You've been bought with a price, therefore your body does not belong to you, it belongs to God. Therefore, your body should be lived for the glory of God, to please God, to honor Him, to love Him. 45. Not only does he say this in his heart, there's a long time to come. He begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. All right. He says here, he beats the slaves. He's a slave, but he mistreats the other slaves. Maybe as the supervisor of the slaves, as the foreman of the slaves, he's beating and mistreating the other slaves. And that is bad enough, but he also beats the women. The male slave, the foreman, beats the women under him. 
He does it to both. Callous man, careless man, merciless, uncompassionate man who would do that. And then he eats and drinks and gets drunk. So he's, he, he loves to party. He loves to party with great food, loves to feast. He does, knows nothing of fasting, nothing of sobriety, nothing of self-control in re- reference to food and drink. He doesn't do that. And then he also likes to get drunk to completely be blind and insensitive to reality. That's what happens when drunkenness takes place. He gets drunk. He doesn't help others. He abuses others. He doesn't take care of himself. He even abuses himself. He indulges his passions. He indulges the flesh. 46. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Is the master a just master? Yes. Is he a righteous master? Yes. He is one who understands law and justice. He's one who understands penalties for crimes. And he says, he's going to come when the slave does not expect him. Because while he's partying, he's thinking about the food and indulging himself. And the drink, the alcohol, and he gets drunk. And when he's drunk, he's not going to be expecting the master to come. He's going to be thinking about other things or not even aware of the reality around him because he's not sober. And then the master will come. And when he comes, unexpectedly, an hour he does not know, he will cut him in pieces. He will cut him in pieces. Yes, Jesus said... That Jesus, of course, we're talking about Jesus being the master, right? Verse 40, you too be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. It is Jesus who's going to cut in pieces all the wicked. Did we hear that? I'm repeating myself on purpose. Look at 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15. Samuel the prophet does what King Saul was supposed to do to an evil king, King Agag of the Amalekites. And he says this, 15, 32 and 33. Then Samuel said, Bring Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully, and Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. He says, surely the bitterness of death is past. Doesn't that sound like the wicked slave who says, my master's not going to come for a long time. I don't have to deal with any matters of justice. 33, but Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Samuel the prophet, he executed Agag, the wicked king, by cutting him up into pieces. He deserved the death penalty, and this is how Samuel the prophet, the holy prophet of God, executed that criminal. This is the analogy Jesus uses in Luke 12. On this day of judgment, when he comes unexpectedly and the wicked slave isn't ready, 
it says, the master will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. So, the unbelievers are all those people who do not live in accordance with the master's will. They do not live expecting him to come, to come suddenly. They don't live that way. They live according to their own whims, their own will, their own passions. And the master will catch him, catch them all off guard and assign him a place with the unbelievers. This is a circuitous way of speaking of hell. This is where everybody goes, right? He's saying all the unbelievers go there and that's the place assigned for them. Matthew 25, 41. The hell prepared for the devil and his angels. The wicked go there, the devil and his angels go there. That's the place for the unbelievers. Then, 20, uh, 47 and 48, Jesus speaks of degrees of faithfulness. 47 and 48. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will shall receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. And from everyone who has been given much shall much be required, and to whom they entrusted much of him they shall ask all the more. All right, so 47, the one who does not get ready shall receive many lashes. That's the wicked slave. But then among the faithful, 48, the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of flogging will receive but few. Did not know the will. I think what he means here is did not know the will perfectly and in every situation. For whatever reasons, he did not read the whole Bible. He did not read it with comprehension, parts of it with comprehension. Did not seriously consider what this or that passage meant to him in reference to his obedience and faithfulness, then he will receive few lashes. He will be flogged, uh, I'm sorry, flogged, but it will be um, few. But those who did know more and did not do it, they will receive more. And then this statement about faithfulness. Everyone who has been given much shall much be required, and to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. Those of us who know more of the Word of God, we are expected to obey more, because we know. It would be like what James says in James 3.1, Let many of you, my brethren, not become teachers, for as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. He says, you all want to be teachers, you all want to be able to tell others about things, watch out, for we shall incur a stricter judgment. If you are in that position of a teacher, the judgment is more strict. So that means more holiness, more righteousness, less compromise should be expected of you as teachers because there will be a stricter judgment and more will be asked of us. I think that in verse 48, 47 and 48, there is a similar parable that is in Luke chapter 19. Luke 19. In Luke 19, 11 to 27, there is a parable of money usage. 
parable of money usage. There he says the following. And while they were listening to these things, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then returned. And he called 10 of his slaves and gave them 10 minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And it came about that when he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him in order that he might know what business they had done. And the first appeared, saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, be in authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Your mina, master, has made five minas. And he said to him also, And you are to be over five cities. And another came, saying, Master, behold your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down, and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, By your own words I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down, and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put the money in the bank, and having come, I would have collected it with interest? And he said to the bystander, Take the mina away from him, and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. I tell you that to everyone who has shall more be given, but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, Bring them here and slay them in my presence. Here are these three different slaves. The one slave made uh, ten, and he has ten cities. The other made five, and he has five cities. And the third slave, so that's the difference in rewards, like Luke twelve forty-seven to 48. But then the one slave here, he doesn't do anything with it, and he deserves to have what he has taken away from him, and... 27, these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. So that's like the, that's the unbelievers because they don't live in accordance with what the master has given them. So let's be prepared, always prepared. Let's not say, I'll repent of my sin tomorrow. Let's say, I'll repent of my sin today. Don't say, I'll be ready tomorrow. No, be ready today, always. And do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to overcome and be faithful to Christ. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.